Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Anders Asland is the chairman of the International Advisory Council at the Center for Social and Economic Research, also known as CASE. He was as well an economic advisor to the government of Russia under Boris Yeltsin from 1990 to 1994. They're not particularly liked by Mr. Putin, who actually doesn't like them all the way back to Khrushchev, and economic advisor to the government of Ukraine from 1994 to 1997. His book, Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy, details how Vladimir Putin, in fact, consolidated control over Russia by appointing his closest associates and friends to head state enterprises like the FSB, the Federal Security Service, the judiciary, the KGB, I mean, you've got it all controlled right there, and enriched his business friends with preferential government deals, billionaires. Now, much of this wealth, we find out from Dr. Aslan's book, has been hidden offshore in the UK and the US, where companies with anonymous owners and black money transfers are allowed to thrive. Dr. Asland, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, sir. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. So what is, how would you just, generic question out of the gate, how would you describe the world economic reality today, less than a week after Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Uh, if you put it like this, the Russian economy is weak. Uh, it was $2.3 trillion in 2013. Today it's $1.5 trillion. But the private wealth of uh, uh, the Russian elite held offshore is about $1 trillion. We have rather good numbers for what the money that goes out of Russia, but we know little about what happens to it afterwards. And my assessment is that one quarter of that belongs to Putin and his friends. So a fair assessment is that half of that uh, quarter trillion of dollars belong to President Putin himself, $125 billion. Good Lord. That's a massive number. Indeed. So your book, Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Fundamentals, Putin and His Pals, as I understand it, grew powerful and immensely wealthy by profiting personally from uh, Russia's forays into international business banking and trade. It, it is the track which your book's subtitle addresses that I also find very interesting, the path from market economy to kleptocracy. So before Putin had established a market economy, he took personal advantage of and used for his own benefit what had been there when he got there, yes? Well, it functioned like this. Uh, Russia in the 1990s was messy. But there was an attempt to build a market economy, uh, democracy, but that failed first, and a bit of a rule of law. Uh, during Putin's first period, uh, 2000 to 2004, Putin tried to be everything to every person. This is the time when you get the most positive assessments of him. And he actually carried out good economic reforms uh, then. Uh, but uh, then in his second term, it was the oil boom and Putin didn't need to do anything. He had the power and he just consolidated the, the power. And after that, he started first nationalizing, uh, renationalizing uh, big companies that had been uh, privatized. And then he passed them on 
to his friends. So he has four friends from St. Petersburg that are his main uh, business uh, partners. That he, one of them he has known since he was uh, 12 or 13 uh, years old and he has made them. So they are simply taking money, most of all from Gazprom, Russia's big um, state gas company. And they do it primarily in two ways. One is that they get uh, privileged uh, public procurement, uh, and uh, then they uh, uh, increase the price twice or thrice to what it should be. And the other is asset stripping. Uh, So these friends have taken all the media assets from Gazprom, uh, petrochemical uh, companies, a lot of uh, gas production, and um, uh, certainly all financial assets. So so this is uh, really a piracy on the state that is led by by, uh, the president. And Putin has had full control over Gazprom since 2001. So my view is that Gazprom should not be allowed to deal with the international financial system because this is, by all definitions, an organized crime syndicate. There's no way to stop them because Putin's friends control the police and the judiciary. Well, the international community can do so. If Gazprom was... 1% 1% of as large as it is now, nobody would like to deal with it because the legal risk would be considered too great. Now it's so big, so it's uh, too big not to deal with. Right. I mean, domestically, nobody can interfere with him because his friends control the uh, the, the investigative um, arm of government and, and controls the jud- judiciary. But uh, So let's talk about the international end of things. Russia was removed from SWIFT banking system, from the world banking system. What does that mean to Russia? And does that make Putin's situation with his friends potentially precarious? Uh, yes. What we have been seeing now in the last week is quite dramatic. All of a sudden, people have realized that this is not the Cold War. This is a hot war. Uh, and uh, Putin is not a Brezhnev. He's rather more similar to Adolf Hitler. I would compare uh, Putin's attack on Ukraine uh, this week with Adolf Hitler's attack on uh, Poland. on the 1st of uh, September 1939, and all of a sudden this is aching uh, through. So on the financial side, I think that what uh, uh, President Biden did uh, was the most effective. Block five of the big state uh, banks completely from uh, the international uh, system. The U.S. can do it itself by saying you are not allowed to deal with uh, U.S. dollars in any way, and then restricting uh, financial opportunities uh, uh, to uh, 13 big uh, uh, essentially state uh, state companies and prohibiting dealings with uh, uh, Russian government debt. And this means that something like 70% of all financial access, international financial access to Russia has been closed. And you and I can guess that soon it will be be much more. So Russia is very swiftly moving to uh, Iranian sanctions. And of course, uh, the West has now decided to freeze Russia's central bank reserves, which are $640 billion. So Russia is 
quickly becoming in a hopeless uh, situation. Uh, right now, uh, or that, that is on Friday, the Russian ruble was worth $85 uh, per uh, US dollar. Uh, I saw one private bank that predicted that on Monday, tomorrow, it will be 150 rubles uh, per $1. That is that half the value of the Russian ruble would disappear over the weekend. It's, this is this dramatic. So so-called fortress Russia is much weaker than people thought. It's not enough to have uh, international reserves. You have uh, must have access to them in order to be a relevant financial power. Yeah. Dr. Asland, the, um, the sanctions and the ones I just mentioned that the EU has lowered now on Belarus, will they ultimately, and what you've told us, um, the situation with SWIFT and the lack of access to the international banking reality for Russia, is this going to have the potential to push, to back Putin into a corner where he finds, tries to find a way to get out of this situation he's gotten himself into? Or do you have concerns he'll just keep pushing his foot on the gas pedal? I'm an optimist. I think that uh, uh, President Putin's attack on Ukraine was such madness that he will lose his power on this. Who will oust him? I can't say. Will it be the FSB? Will it be the military? I don't think that it will be the businessmen. It could be uh, that uh, people are really starting protesting. What we have seen today throughout much of the world has been massive uh, protests. Also in uh, uh, Moscow, uh, uh, <clears throat> Novosibirsk and uh, St. Petersburg. So I think that uh, Putin is, has really put himself in, uh, in a very impossible situation, but not directly because of the economic consequences, but simply because this is madness. Uh, my assessment is that Russia in the period 2014-2020 lost as much as 2.5% of GDP each year because of the Western sanctions and generally uh, very bad uh, governance, uh, that is massive corruption. And uh, uh, Russia had no economic growth at all during these seven years. I don't think that Russia will have any economic growth for the foreseeable future. The question now is rather how fast will the Russian GDP uh, fall from an already uh, ba uh, bad situation and who will uh, react uh, against it. Given the powers in Russia, I would guess uh, that it's the FSB, the former KGB uh, generals, there are four of them on the, uh, the dominant Security Council. The Security Council today is like the Politburo in the old Soviet times. And I think that these are the people who are most likely uh, to oust uh, Putin. But uh, the top of Russia today is so closed that nobody from the outside actually knows much about it. What about Ukraine? How would you assess Ukraine's situation? You were the economic advisor to the Ukraine government from 94 to 97. How do you assess their situation now and going forward? I've been greatly impressed with how Ukraine has operated in the last four days during the war. You know, the normal idea is that Russia is authoritarian and well organized, and Ukraine is an open, free society, democratic, but quite messy. 
Uh, strangely, now we are seeing the, the opposite. The Russian military doesn't seem to get anything wrong. They have massive losses of men and uh, uh, material, and uh, they don't seem to know what we are doing. They haven't ac accomplished any of their uh, targets in spite of all their uh, military resources. The Ukrainian, on the contrary, have been disciplined, have strong morale, and uh, they know what they are doing, and they are doing it amazingly well with much more limited resources. In uh, one of the assessments, uh, reviews of your book, Russia's Crony Capitalism, it's written about the money that was taken offshore by Putin's friends, and by Putin too, I imagine, the super wealthy class, the plutocracy, and it's written, much of this wealth has been hidden in offshore havens in the United States and the United Kingdom, where companies with anonymous owners and black money transfers are allowed to thrive. Um, is that money accessible? And how, how does it work? How, how can it be that in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, and in other, maybe other Western countries as well, this goes on? Well, it goes like this. Uh, traditionally, Russian money went on through Cyprus, not goes through other uh, several different ways. So if it's seriously dirty money, uh, uh, they get half a dozen shell companies on top of one another in Cyprus. Then they move it to British Virgin Islands, which is not a banking center, only a, a company formation center. And you get another half dozen companies or so there. And then you take it to Cayman Island, which is the, the central offshore haven in, in the world. And there you get another half a dozen uh, offshore companies. Then you go to Wilmington, Delaware, uh, where you have... Uh, a uh, couple of million of anonymous offshore companies. And uh, then you can invest it anywhere. Uh, Cayman Islands is actually the second biggest investor in U.S. securities, bonds and stocks. And uh, with $1.9 trillion of investment in uh, U.S. securities, uh, second only to Japan, and before the UK and this little country called China. So this is something that is not at all known or understood. Cayman Islands has 60,000 inhabitants, but 158 banks. And a fair guess, only a guess, is that 200 to $400 billion of Russian money goes through that and wow. lands in the United States completely wow. legally. Now I know when I was in the Cayman Islands why there's so many beautiful boats. <laughs> and nice hotels. <laughs> if you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 